Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Market View on Money FM 89.3. That's right. You're listening to Money FM 89.3. I'm Chua Tiantian with your market view. Now, China's reopening is on our agenda today with COVID-19 spreading rapidly through households after an unexpected lifting of pandemic rules. Now, that really sparked confusion on the ground with hospitals and facilities struggling to deal with the surge in cases. So what would China's reopening path look like after the drastic reopening and how would that drive up economic activity within Asia? Now, elsewhere, where South Korea's short-term debt yields fell for the first time since last year yesterday. Could this be the green shoots of recovery from South Korea's recent bond route? Now, for more, we are joined by Gary Ng, Senior Economist for APEC at Texas. Hi, Gary. How are you? Hi, I'm good. It's my pleasure to be here tonight. Uh, great to have you as well. And I understand you're in Hong Kong. Big news today, yeah? the relaxing of measures. Uh, yes, exactly. I think if we look at the measure of like not having any quarantine requirement anymore, I think many residents have been waiting for that mm-hmm. for a, a long time. And of course, some people also kind of think it uh, linked to the zero COVID policy in China as well. Also, Gary, um, I'd like to follow up on that to look at China's reopening, right? How would you see China's reopening path to be like following those uh, drastic COVID zero reversal, especially when we see anecdotal evidence suggesting that the caseload as many times the government's official tally take for instance sunday's 1133 cases exactly and of course if we look at the number of cases, if you test less then you get a <laughs> like a lower number i think it's very natural to have that but mm-hmm. of course if you talk to people on the ground then probably uh it's quite easy to find uh, people who feel that they are a bit sick so basically the count must be a lot higher than uh, what the government is reporting so i think from the economic perspective whether this will actually change the reopening path maybe not so much because i think the current policy is not to, um, like beneficial for a lot of um, like um, stakeholders, corporate residents, even local governments, they all do not have money. So I think this opening path will continue. However, there can be some turbulence of you know taking a, one or two steps back when there is a bit uh, too much pressure on hospital. But China will reopen. Mm. So, um, going by that assumption that China will reopen and uh, push forward with that, how would you expect China's reopening to drive up global oil prices? Because uh, analysts are expecting a rise of 15 US dollars per barrel. Is that a fair assessment, especially with the North American Keystone pipeline remaining closed? Um, exactly. I think it is actually quite fair. And of course, uh, China's reopen is not only a wild card for oil prices, but even for generally um, global inflation as well. And mm. recently, we have seen quite aggressive market sell-off. However, we, there are two things we need to consider. In 2023, on the one hand, we actually see that if you look at those OPEC plus um, like members, they don't really want to uh, expand the production because they're worried about the demand in the future. Mm. They want to keep the price at uh, like a higher level. At the same time, we actually have China's reopening actually offsetting part of this weakening global demand. So it means that when that happens, oil price can go up to, you know, a range of uh, around 95 to 105 again. So I think the current oil price is only a short term, like a decline. And next year, we will see it to be uh, like uh, increasing, but at a more stable level. Hmm. And uh, away from oil prices, I'd like to look at uh, new home sales. Now, new home sales in 16 Chinese cities picked up last week amid government support policies and the easing of restrictions. But are there any underlying concerns within the property market that you think uh, investors should be aware of? Hmm. 
so when we think of China real estate, people think of risk. And then when we think of risk, <laughs> uh, the underlying matter is really a matter of you know confidence, whether mm. people like uh, still have confidence in developers and whether they still want to buy homes because they feel a bit more optimistic about the future. Right. So, so far, the policies has been focusing on the cash flow of developers. Basically, it's much easier for them to get liquidity right now. This is helpful. But the bigger problem that we see right now is that where the demand can pick up. Because I think compared to many other uh, like market in the uh, Asia, right, we, mm. we are probably all quite jealous because mortgage rates are going up. But in China, it's actually going down by you know, 150 basis points mm. so far this year. But home sales still declined by 25%. So I think this kind of shows that um, like the cyclical rebound will come when the zero COVID policy is lifted. But it also a kind of different environment because of the tight regulation has hurt home confidence and therefore it will not return to the golden age. And with that, there are two um, major takeaways. The first is that, well, households can still be quite conservative. They want more saving. So the path of recovery may not be that strong. Second, mm. even if there is a uh, policy support. Who are getting it is a big question. So I still think that I think most of the uh, policy support will be given to the still kind of good developers, which means that there can be polarization within the uh, market itself. The poor developers may still be uh, gone in the next uh, two to three years. Mm, Right. And uh, well, Gary, I want to touch on this as well. Uh, We have Goldman Sachs Group expecting Hong Kong, Thailand and Singapore to be the biggest beneficiaries from China's reopening. Now, Hong Kong expected to see 7.6% boost to GDP, Thailand 2.9% and Singapore 1.2%. I want to get your take on this. Do you agree with the assessment? What are the sectors that will see the biggest increase in economic activity? So I do agree generally with the boost that uh, tourism from China will actually uh, like help on the Asian tourism industry. Of course, um, I mean, for Hong Kong, there are still other challenges, so the boost may not be as much. Mm. But still, 78% of tourists uh, come from China. So this is quite likely that it will be probably one of the biggest benefits. But of course, if we look broader into Asia, for example, Thailand is a very big recipient of global tourists and also tourists from uh, China and Japan, Korea, Singapore, they all uh, like um, have a kind of exposure more or less. So definitely this is something positive for the region. And if we think of it from the sector perspective, tourism will definitely be the um, like the biggest uh, winner. We're talking about sectors related to retail sales, restaurant, hospitality and aviation. I think all of them will benefit from this, uh, you know, uh, wealth that become a bit more normalized. And China is really the last uh, missing part so that uh, kind of joined this uh, normalisation uh, path that we are all on right now. If you're just tuning in, we're now speaking to Gary Ng, Senior Economist for APEC at Nuktixis. Well, Gary, South Korea's short-term debt yields uh, fell for the first time since 2021 yesterday. Uh, to what extent do you think this is a recovery from the recent bond route and also uh, a recovery from Legoland Gangwon's default? Well, indeed, I mean, after we talk about something more positive from reopening, <laughs> indeed, we cannot forget that in the world nowadays, we still have that problem of tightening liquidity, both in quantity and also in a higher interest rate environment. So this 
actually happen because uh, you have these firms which can be uh, like with higher leverage. At the same time, you see all this uh, liquidity and funding costs uh, rising and also uh, contracting. So I think the government has done quite a good job in terms of taming the uh, like market sentiment. So now I think the market pretty much think that it's an individual case, not so much re- related to the Korea sovereign risk. Uh, the government support is quite strong in terms of providing more credit line, uh, uh, even though they are still hiking rate, but there are more liquidity, like ch- trying to be channeled to all these uh, firms put be in trouble. So at the end, it's still the matter of confidence. And I do think that this uh, reversal of the uh, short-term debt yield actually shows that the measures are working. And then um, I, I don't think the risk involved uh, mm. generally for the Korean market is that high. Mm. So indeed, we're seeing some green shoots of recovery there. Yeah? And away from South Korea, Gary, uh, Japan has been an outlier when it comes to interest rates and also inflation. But uh, Japan's November wholesale prices rose some 9.3% from a year ago. Um, the rate is unchanged from the previous month. But do you think this level of price increases is enough for the Bank of Japan to come up and say that, hey, I'm going to pivot from my dovish stance? What are your thoughts and where do you think this signal for the yen? I think for Japan, the story is a bit more uh, complicated. Of right. course, if we look at global central banks, we have like uh, most of the central banks hiking rate. And in Asia, we have like China being accommodative, and Ch- uh, Japan is really the uh, uh, outliner that has been keeping this policy for um, a very long time. So the problem that Japan is facing right now is that of course the economic growth hasn't been that strong um, because of the hit from COVID and also because with the weak yen that it has been uh, you know, uh, facing because of the high energy prices and etc. and also with the new divergence versus um, the US. So this is one thing. But at the same time because of this uh, poor economic situation that Japan has right now, it's really not in a very good shape to actually hike rate and join the world in terms of uh, taming all this um, inflation because it's largely only because of energy. It's not only because of, you know, uh, the economy is doing better. And therefore, I think it's likely that they will actually keep the stance at least until um, February or, or to see whether they would have a new governor. But at the same time, whenever the yen actually touch uh, 145, 150 uh, like, um, yen per dollar, then the central bank, the BOJ, will interfere. And this is actually buying time because, well, the hmm. Fed may actually re- cut rate or at least you, 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 you right. stop taking it. Yeah, so this will help Japan naturally. So I think this is the more likely path that we uh, see right now. Japan is not ready for uh, change in monetary policy. Mm. And let's leave the Fed question for later on. But I want to briefly touch on this article carried by the Business Times. And uh, it's called Bank Runs Just Aren't What They Used To Be. And this article really talks about how banks such as Credit Suisse and how REITs like the Blackstone REIT uh, can absorb the impact of market volatilities and investment outflows. I want to get your thoughts how concerned do you think we should be about the latest rounds of uh, outflows then? So I think when there is like a, a, a liquidity tightening or basically for this specific cases, it could be uh, investment sentiment changing on risk than their uh, capital outflows. So the difference between a bank run versus the type of like capital outflows is of course like it may happen in a bank but not really nowadays because we have a lot of different um, complex financial products, rates or, 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 or like um, from other means. So this is uh, one thing. 
But on the other hand, um, it's also about whether this will bring systematic risk um, to the um, uh, system. So I think from what we see so far, it seems that the regulatory um, landscape has been quite well from the bank mm-hmm. perspective, even though if there's uh, outflow, but because of the capital requirement uh, or because of like the government support still, it seems to be fine. And also, I think at a certain point of time, uh, different the risk management mentality of different funds or different uh, like a product provider matter because if you actually can uh, limit the capital outflows at a certain time, then it will of course uh, help on uh, this amplifying um, like a problem of like the the market sentiment because people tend to be scared when you know uh, prices drop too much and etc. So I think this is a mix of both. And then um, right now I think we are in a better regulated environment than the past. So the risk of like a bank run in one way or the other should um, be reduced. And at the end of the day, I think um, the government would still be like the final, um, like a gatekeeper to actually Mm. prevent this from becoming a too big to fail problem. Mm. And uh, as promised, before we let you go, we must talk about the US, Gary. We have the US CPI data out tonight. What are the expectations thus far? And uh, well, to what extent have this been priced in by markets? So I think the, the market pretty much expect that the CPI will actually decline. I mean, from 7.7% last time to 7.3% this time. So inflation pressure is actually easing, even though it's still quite a high level. So um, I think it's pretty, a done, pretty much a done deal that the Fed will hike another 50 basis points in uh, December, another 50% in a Q1. And then after that, really depends on, you know, whether the growth pressure will kick in or whether inflation uh, like uh, pressure will actually continue to ease because um, nowadays, compared to, you know, a few months ago, we have the factor of China reopening. And if China actually, uh, like, boosts up all the global demand in a very short period of time, then it's possible to delay that uh, path of, you know, uh, like mm. uh, 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 rate, 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 um, and it's a stabilization of rate in, in the U.S. So I think this is really the biggest, um, like, uh, uncertainty that we are facing right now but still i think we are we are about to reach the end of the rate high path in uh like for the u.s it's just whether it's like at five percent terminal rate or maybe another you know 25 basis point more in q2 mm. so what is the magic number you're expecting for cpi tonight and also for the fed's decision I do think that it may be uh, slightly um, like higher than market expectation. It can be 7.4% uh, okay. um, because we actually see that if we look at it from the commodity prices perspective, there's actually a slight uptick in terms of the U.S. import price. So that could actually have an impact on the uh, U.S. CPI. And also if we look at the wage data, actually, especially in the services sector, we do not see a very you know big change in terms of um, like a big decline, even though the economic uh, pressure is actually kicking in. So I think these two factors actually can um, make inflation a little bit more uh, you know, prolonged than many people may have thought. But still, uh, the Fed will actually consider the timing that um, like non-monetary policy actually needs time to actually channel into the real economy. So I think um, it will um, like um, uh, hike by only 50 basis mm-hmm. points um, like this month. It will, should, this one should not bring any you know, big surprise to the market. The right. big surprise may actually come uh, next year. Uh, let's let's hope that the, the later you come in, hopefully uh, that will be better and that will buy us some time. Thanks very much, Gary. That was Gary Ng, senior economist for APEC at Notixis. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.